0: Go to Ezekiel chapter 17. I want to share one verse before we turn to the book of Matthew. As we have studied, Jesus is now ridden into Jerusalem on the back of the donkey. He's testified that if you stop praising in this moment, the rocks will cry out. I had somebody ask me the other day, I get this question pretty often about the movie uh, Noah and the weirdness of it, and because people go trying to find the scriptural part of that to make it fit with our scripture, I can honestly tell you, I don't know what those days were like, and talking about these beings that were rocks, and again, all the strangeness of the movie, and I shared with them, I said, well, I don't know how strange it was, I don't know what those early days looked like, because even Jesus says, "If, if you don't shout, these rocks will, there's a strangeness to what God will do, that we can't quite hold in our heart. I don't know what Noah was trying to process. I know the movie says, you know, he, he felt like that his purpose was to save the animals. who so the animals were saved, he was going to be killed. I'm not sure that's logical or illogical in the days that Noah lived, what he was trying to process in the moment, what God was fixing to do. But I do know that Jesus testified, and I believe he meant it with all his heart. If you stop these voices, these rocks will find a voice. These rocks will come to life and speak. Not strange to us, not strange to the power of God. In Ezekiel chapter 17, verse 24, the last verse of that chapter, it says, And all the trees of the field shall know that I, the Lord, have brought down the high tree, have exalted the low tree, have dried up the green tree, and have made the dry tree to flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it. So we kind of look at that scripture and understand pieces of it. We understand a little bit of what God was trying to say about the high tree and the low tree. Even when you read Mary's song in Luke 1, like in verse 27, she sings this verse of Ezekiel seventeen twenty-four that the high will be brought down and, and the low will be exalted. She's actually singing this verse. But When we come to this passage in uh, in Matthew chapter 21, that's where I need for you to go uh, after you leave Ezekiel, beginning in verse 18, just three verses, it says, now in the morning as Jesus returned into the city, he hungered. When he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only, and he said unto it, let not fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? This is a strange passage. I've seen this thing taken apart so many ways. People even questioning, was this a real hunger? Was Jesus really hungry? Well, he just had a remarkable night before this. I don't have any doubt that Jesus was literally hungry when he came and saw this fig tree. When you study symbolism, trees within the scripture often depict a nation. So we kind of have to get in that mindset that Jesus not only was having something happen, but he wasn't telling a parable, he was living a parable here. He was living an example of a truth that he wanted us to grasp. There's too much here for this to just to be a strange coincidence that Jesus was hungry. He went to a fig tree and ended up cursing. There's only two times within Jesus' story... That he did something that was actually appeared destructive, and this is one of them. The other was when he ran the animals off the cliff when he was dealing with Legion. You know, something was actually loss. This is the second one of those, the only two times that in Jesus' story that actually occurred. But when we begin to recognize that a fig tree, a tree in particular, represents a nation, when you go to Matthew chapter 13 and you are seeing those parables and there's a parable there that said you know there was a, a mustard seed that when it was planted it, it grew into an herb and then it grew into a tree. We kind of see that in favorable terms saying that's the miracle of God multiplying that took, it took the tiniest of seed, grew it into an herb and then that herb bush grew into a mighty tree. Well, I want to tell you, there is nothing great or nothing grand about that story. The fact that Jesus is telling about a mustard seed that grew into a bush, the purpose of the mustard seed was to become a healing balm. It had a purpose as that bush. When it grew into a tree, it says that that which God had intended to bring healing had grown into a nation that was not supposed to be a nation. That there was an unnatural step because you'd never find a bush growing into a tree. It was an unnatural step. It was a step that shouldn't have occurred because the birds that had been taking the seed off the path were now nesting in that tree. It's it's what happens when religion, which is designed to be a healing bomb, takes on an agenda and becomes a nation of its own with a voice that's proclaiming the words of politics when we were designed by the voice of God to be a healing bomb in a nation around the world. It's a warning not to step into, for the church not to step into the political position and become a tree because in that, then the birds can come and make a nest. The trees represent nations. So when Jesus is coming to this tree, he's coming to a fig tree. Now we realize the time where we are that this is Jesus about to be crucified. The church has not been born yet. So the church is still yet to come. So who do we know that Jesus is talking about? He's talking about Israel. He's talking about Israel being represented by that fig tree. And Jesus comes to it, and he sees leaves on it. There's a lot being made out of this, because, and, and it's, a, it's a valid point, and you can understand why scholars would point this out. The season of the year that Jesus was crucified was not the time of year that a fig tree would typically bear fruit. When you read this story in the, in the book of Mark, it actually says that, even though that it was not the season in which the fig tree would bear fruit. But the picture here is that you don't have a fig tree that has leaves that doesn't have fruit. So when Jesus saw the leaves, what should, would the natural expectation be? Fruit. One would, even out of season, if the, if the leaves are out of season, the fruit would be out of season. And Jesus is recognizing there's leaves, but there's no fruit. What's he trying to tell them? What's he trying to tell us? Israel had been so amazingly blessed by God. Time and time again, following their rebellion, following their rejection, following their refusal to accept what God had for them. Time and time again, they would return and they would make great promises to God. They would promise faithfulness. They would promise goodness. They would promise that they would be the nation that God had called them to be. And all of those promises, all that, that Israel had been blessed with, Everything that they had said to God, everything said, here are the leaves. Great promises, great story, and Jesus goes to inspect it, and there's no fruit. We get to see the benefit of the rest of this story. We get to see the next step in the story. Because when you go to Matthew twenty-one forty-three, we we see in those verses where Jesus addresses Israel and says, I will refuse you as a nation, and I'm going to build for me a nation that has never been a nation before. So we see in the moment when Jesus and God actually deal with Israel, and this moment comes and says, you, you will not bear fruit. And what a powerful statement of Jesus representing Israel. Because we kind of know the things of prophecy yet to come. There will not be a day short of Jesus' return that Israel will produce fruit. As a nation, they will not produce fruit because it's in the last seven years The seven years of tribulation that Israel's heart is actually one to God and they recognize Jesus as the Messiah. The last act that they will actually do as a nation is is to accept the Messiah and Jesus will come. So strange that what Jesus has said here, we can actually see playing out. There are in the world some very forward professions of the Christian life, but we see very, very little fruit. What do you think the expectation of Jesus is? If he's going to approach Israel this way, if he's going to establish that and say, as a nation, you're not going to produce. So so what does he do? He takes this people who've never been a nation before and he grafts them in. He doesn't replace them. He grafts them in so that we will produce, as the church, we will produce the fruit that Israel refused to produce. He came into his own, his own refused him. But for those who would accept him, he said in John chapter 1, to those who would accept, this would be the result. The church was designed, put in place, to produce the fruit that Israel here says it, it's refusing to produce. This is the connection I want you to make out of this scripture, is that fig leaves, when you see fig, a fig tree and fig leaves, what fruit do you expect to go gather? Anybody would be strange if they said anything other than figs. Why? Because the fruit comes out of the identity of the one producing it. makes sense? The fruit and the identity ought to match. If I have an apple, it came from an apple tree. If I have an orange, it came from an orange tree. Okay, first of all, when I look in my basket, when I look in my personal basket, what fruit do I see as the evidence of my life? Because by my profession of faith to God, I'm saying that I'm making great promises to you, I'm trusting you, I'm putting my faith in you, you are the one of my life, you are the God of my life, I'm saying this to you, the leaves are there, well, where's the fruit? The sad commentary for most of us about the fruit that we examine, well, I go to church, you know, I give money, I teach a class, not diminishing any of those things at all. But here's something strange. The God who spoke to Moses, when Moses said, who do I say sent me? That God, in response, says, I am. So the I am God is producing the fruit that should be in our basket. That I am God is a supernatural God. He is not controlled by the natural things of the world. As a matter of fact, we would find it strange to be worshiping a God who was held in the natural. So everything that Jesus came and did as the evidence, fruit of God, because we we understand well Jesus never performed a miracle. Jesus never healed anybody. Jesus never changed anybody. Jesus never touched anybody. He couldn't in his humanity. And he says it, without the Father, I can do nothing. It's great news for you and I, because I have to confess the same thing. Jesus knew that for him to touch someone, heal someone, to change their life, he could see the need and he was moved with compassion, realizing what I realized is I can't help them. So what did Jesus do? He went to the Father. What he saw in his mind's eye, what the Father told him to speak, he spoke. What the Father showed him to do, he did. So the act of obedience, from what he saw in the Spirit to what he released into that life, it says that God, in Acts chapter 2, that God, the Father, performed every miracle. So what do you think that fruit has to look like? Supernatural. Supernatural fruit. Because the fruit matches the origin. And we have grown to accept a very mediocre quality of fruit having very little expectation. I can't help but wonder, does Jesus look at us? Does God look at us? Say, man, there's lots of leaves. I should be able to go and examine their lives and find this phenomenal fruit. Because the leaves are there, where's the fruit? Our expectations of what this fruit's supposed to look like, because we understand some very simple things that don't take much complexity to, to solve. When I became a Christian, the Holy Spirit was given to me. It doesn't mean I accepted him. But the, the gift of the Holy Spirit was given to us. It's a fact. Can't erase that. Doesn't mean I took it. Doesn't mean I embraced the reality of the Holy Spirit. But if I did. If I've asked the Holy Spirit to come fully live in me. Then, then it says in Galatians chapter 5. That that Holy Spirit is going to produce fruit. I don't have to try. The Holy Spirit by the nature of the Holy Spirit will produce his own fruit. So somebody looking at me. We'll see the fruit of the Spirit if I let the Spirit control. If I let the Spirit have His way, then the fruit of the Spirit that we read in Galatians chapter 5 is going to be the evidence of our life. Peace, joy, long suffering, kindness, goodness, mercy. All the things that are listed there. And that requires no effort on my part. Because the minute I start going out there to try to help an apple tree start producing apples, besides nurturing it, I will start destroying the tree. The Holy Spirit requires no help from me. Just like you're sitting demonstrating faith. Because the weight of your body is sitting on a pew and, and you're doing nothing to help the pew be a pew except putting your weight, your life on it and it's performing to do exactly what it was designed to do in the mind of the one who established it, built it, created it. The minute we start trying to help the Holy Spirit produce fruit, then, we can, then the Holy Spirit can't produce the fruit of the Spirit. By faith we trust Him, He does what He's supposed to do. Again, examine our basket. How many of us can say that the fruit of my life today was Galatians 5? Peace, joy, love, mercy, kindness, goodness, long-suffering. It says against those things, there's nothing that comes against those. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And it requires no effort on my part except to let him produce it. These become his hands to work with. This becomes his heart to love with, his eyes to see with. These become his ears to hear with, his mind to think with. I want to tell you, he's so much better at living this life than I am. So in part of our basket should be this very evident fruit of Galatians chapter 5 because the Holy Spirit that we've accepted bears this fruit. But the Holy Spirit also comes upon us. Not only fills us and works from the inside, the Holy Spirit still comes upon us. That voice that we hear, and I'm not talking about some faint voice or some quiet whisper. I'm talking about the reality of God speaking to us in terms that we know can, can clearly describe. Here's a hand holding a basket. She said it looked like a beach bag made out of rope. Has a beautiful rose on the side of it. And these words, "You'll make it" on it. And the word "make" comes out. I want to tell you that is not a dream. That is her being wide awake, seeing, seeing God delivering a message that she could not misunderstand. While we don't expect God to function in those kind of terms, faith comes by hearing. Jesus says, "I can only do what I see in my mind's eye. I can only do what I see." Why would I expect to live a life any other way? In the minute that I'm obedient to what he shows me, whether that's dealing with a homeless man in Brownfield or a woman at the Valero station in Lubbock or any other place where it happens to be, with somebody in my office, the minute that, that we're obedient, God the Father does for me what he did for Jesus, releases power or authority or healing. A life is changed or touched, and now there's fruit. And I would encourage you to examine it. Because what you're going to find is there's a supernatural reality, so you're going to know I didn't do it because I can't produce supernatural. If you remember years ago, Kendall did this with the, with the youth, and I did it in children's church. and I built this tower. It's still sitting in my office, and it had cups in it. And so I start pouring water into that top cup, and I ask, how can I get water into that next cup without stopping pouring? Because, yeah, I could stop pouring. I could take it out and pour it in the next one, put it back, do the same thing, and repeat. Well, I had this sharp object in my hand and one of the kids said, well, just poke a hole in it. So I poke a hole in this cup and it starts running into the second one. I poke a hole in the next one, it starts running into the next one. And you realize when Kendall did it with the youth, you know, here's one cup with water being poured into it, multiple holes and kids add their cup down here and they start poking holes and some of the kids catching the water that's coming from it. And you, you kind of get this picture immediately of what God intended. But there's two truths in that that are powerfully real. If I make the hole bigger, what happens? Flows faster. Less cup, more water. Less me, more him. And the other one, the cup can't produce water. It can handle it, but I can't produce it. I can't produce goodness, kindness, mercy, love. I can't produce supernatural realities. God can. He's willing to pour those things through me so that my life can, be, can touch and bless somebody else's. We should never be satisfied with mediocre fruit. When we buy fruit at our house, I eat it because I know it's good for me. Part of it I like, part of it I don't. But if there's a banana there that is good and yellow and looks new, I'll eat it. Two days later, what does it look like? Brown headed to black. Probably not eating that one. The fruit that we are designed to produce is not a mediocre fruit. It doesn't age, it doesn't get old. I guarantee anybody who examines that fruit should see the beauty of the reality of the one from whom it came, and it was not me. I look across even the stories that are here, Jose and the revelations and the visions that he's had, Janie and the one that she's had for the first time in her life and that God showed her something so dynamically powerful. From corner to corner, story by story, life by life, we see these transitions, these transformations that God's doing. You want to hear a great story sometime, get Danny started talking about where God has brought him, the steps of all the things that God has done. We realize that there's a supernatural quality to every one of those things. We kind of judge them sometimes as something less, but every one of those things, the kindness that one person shows another, that's a supernatural move of God. It's not always coming by by the things that we see Jesus do. I guarantee you, when you find somebody that's thirsty or lonely, and you stop and you visit with them, I guarantee to that person, you've just done something supernatural. You hug someone, you encourage them, you speak a word to them, and suddenly that day changes for them. God's powerful to do those things differently. So when that fruit gets inspected, we, we realize that that was the hand of God. That was him doing something that we couldn't do. I can shake somebody's hand, but I can't change their life. When I let this hand become his hand and I shake somebody's, it'll change them. I was teaching a Bible study in Lubbock many years ago, and uh, there was a young man sitting on the front row. I was teaching this something similar. And I said, you know, what happens if the Holy Spirit takes possession of this hand? When I I reach out and shake somebody's hand, it will will so change them and touch them. And I reached out and and he got my hand. And I I don't know what happened to his side, but I know what happened to mine. The reality of the Holy Spirit just flowed out of this hand into his. And I saw it literally hit him. I mean, it, it was evident to everybody in the room that something powerful had just touched his life. I didn't expect that I was just giving an illustration, but the Holy Spirit so indwelled that moment that it just shook him because he realized he had just touched the hand of God. That's, that's different. That creates something very powerful in the testimonies of our life. Don't ever accept. Don't ever confess that, that I'm not able to produce that fruit because someday Jesus is going to inspect that fruit. That's a guarantee. When it's my turn to stand at the judgment seat, according to Second Corinthians 5 or 1 Corinthians 3 or, or Luke chapter 19, when it's my turn to stand there, what's he going to examine? He's not going to say, how well did you do? Did you, you know, did you go to church? Did you do all these things? It's not what he wants to know. What he wants to know is, how evident was I in your life? How evident was your accepting me, the work of the Holy Spirit? Because what he's going to want to see when he looks at me, he's not going to try to see the things that I've done. He's going to look into my face and see if he sees himself. That's what he's looking for, to look into my eyes and see his heart. Look at my hands and see his strength. He's going to inspect the fruit. It says it, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. When he examines it, is he going to find gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, or stubble? Is he going to find things that will be purified by the fire or consumed by the fire? We know this very well. This is, this, he's going to inspect the fruit. He's going to look at our lives. He came to a tree, saw the leaves, saw everything that looked so good. And there was no fruit. When we look across the church universal, many leaves, big buildings, some of them full, great picture. Where's the fruit? If we're going to spend millions and millions and hundreds of millions of dollars to do good things across the world, where's the supernatural evidence of what God has done? Where's the fruit? I can't examine it well. I'll have to leave that up to him. But my suspicion is, he looks at the church as he did with Israel and said, you've kind of stepped into the same place. Many leaves, not much fruit. And the day of the church will end someday. And when that day ends, that will be the day that our fruit is examined. I won't be accountable for yours, because I'll be accountable for mine. What did I do in relationship to what he gave me? And I will receive the reward or the loss according to this question. Jesus said, I'll bring the high down. I'll raise the low up. That which looks green, I'll dry up. He did it right here. And those things that shouldn't be will suddenly carry my glory. We kind of get to choose which part of that are we. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this powerful picture. Such a strange moment in Jesus' life. Such a strange moment when he comes to this tree. Because the evidence is there that the fruit should be. Lord, right now that you see the church and see the leaves. My hope is that you see great fruit, because we yield ourselves to the reality of the Holy Spirit to do in us and through us what we cannot produce. And I pray, Lord, that, that you would band us together, as you, you said in the Scriptures, in Colossians chapter 2, that you would so strengthen us together. And the promises of what you have said, what we sung earlier, that when we band together in, in faith and love, when we stand arm in arm, each one of us, And we begin to march, even the gates of hell cannot prevail. That we will march against the gates of hell. I pray, Lord, that that would just so penetrate our story that we would realize what you have established, come into agreement with it, and let you begin to move us. You have spoken great truth and prophetic reality over this church. And I pray, Lord, that that where we need to grow, where we need to expand, where we need to accept, would become powerfully evident that we can step into the reality of your prophetic truth. That it become more real to us than what we can see and know. And trust by faith that what you've spoken is coming. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.